Fighting's a bit of an issue out this way. They come back here with bite marks all over them. It's horrible stuff. Barney! What are you doing here? We moved back. No way. Yeah. You normally walk onto people's properties without asking, do you? I'm sorry, I didn't want to bother you. Your dog's not here. Just stick to baking fucking scones up there with the rest of the blue ones. You really shouldn't be drinking coffee with the pregnancy. Having drinks with my mates when I'm like four months pregnant, you stupid girl. So I need you to walk over there and flick that switch, alright? Or you can fuck me off. Congratulations. That's the trailer for Mutt. Hello and welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. My name is Matthew Eels. In this episode, I'm joined by Mutt writer and director Sam Galloway. I first heard about Mutt in 2017 when the filmmaking team were raising funds via a crowdfunding campaign. I remember being intrigued by the film then as I thought the world of dogfighting was quite a unique setting for an Australian film. I can't think of any other Australian film with dogfighting as a theme, but if you know one, I'd love for you to get in touch and let us know about it. Mutt follows Odette, an expecting mother who delves into a criminal underworld to rescue her dog from a torturous death. Sam and I do talk a bit about dogfighting in this podcast and his research into that particular underworld, but I think it's important to let you know it's only a minor part of Mutt and there's so much more to the story than that. Sam is a Kiwi filmmaker based in Melbourne. He is both a director of photography for commercial and narrative work, but also holds a distinctively dark and comedic voice as a writer and director. Sam is known for the short films Past the Second Stage and The Dying Act of Cat Burglary, the web series Waiting on Sound, and of course, Mutt. Mutt has been a long time coming, and as I mentioned, it was shot in 2017. The stories that Sam shares during this episode are a great insight into a very independent filmmaking process. Mutt will screen at the Capricorn Film Festival next, and you can find details about that at cinemaaustralia.com.au. No official release date for the film has been announced, but from what Sam tells us towards the end of this episode, it should be soon. Anyway, enjoy. Sam, thank you for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. It's great to have you with us. Thanks very much for, for, for having me. I just caught up with the, some of the previous episodes this week and um, I'm in good company. That's, oh, excellent. Yeah. 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 We've been lucky with some of the guests that we've had on this podcast, actually. Yeah. The the uh, fact everyone's so comfortable with jumping on an uh, online meeting has really opened everything up. Oh, it really has. It really has. I mean, back in, you know, five or six years ago, uh, all of our interviews with uh, filmmakers were done over the phone. Um, and if it wasn't over the phone, then it was actually in person at a cinema that we, we could record on video. And now everyone's just so comfortable jumping onto Zoom to do an interview. It's, it's the new norm. Yeah, I've, I've done table reads with people who I, you know, never thought that I could uh, sort of, um, yeah, lock down for something like that. But because it is like, you know, you're just asking them to sit down at their computer for yes. 45 minutes. Uh, yeah, people are pretty open, which is cool. They are. Hey, uh, more often than not, these interviews are done as part of a of a, uh, of a press junket, 
uh, and the media are provided with you know pages of information about the film and everyone involved. But uh, this one is a little bit different uh, in that I'm flying blind here and I'm learning about the making of this film and yourself uh, as we go. Um, I want to begin uh, with some traditional questions that I ask uh, first-time feature filmmakers. Where are you currently based? Because I remember reading that you were based in, in London at some stage. Yeah, so when we shot the feature in 2017, I was still living in London. Um, and now, five years later, uh, I'm, I'm back in Melbourne. Um, yeah, but, you know, yeah, in, in five years, a, a, a lot can change. Um, yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole new world. Uh, well, what were you doing in London? What, what took you there? Um, in part, it was just that, you know, the, that working visa where you can get over there before you turn 30 and, and I, I just sort of like snuck in there just as I as I turned 30 and then um, uh, while we were living in one of the most expensive places on earth that you can live I decided it was just the right time to do my first feature um, so yeah I, I spent the, the two years that we were there I, I did my first two feature films one of them was based in London and and Mutt's um, Mutt was shot back in, back in Melbourne. Um, so <laughs> we were living in London and I said, I'm going to fly home to make a feature. <laughs> were you always going to shoot it in Melbourne? Did you have any plans to, to film it in London and, and make it a London uh, set film? I think that there's a, a certain flavour to um, the kind of genre of Australian crime films. And it, it was... Um, very much and that was a very much a part of the, the tapestry of, of of what the film was and how I saw it um I don't think that I'd have anything to add to the conversation of you know English um crime films like I'm not Guy Ritchie and um uh I think I saw one mugging while I was there but besides that you know pretty crime free really yes. um I could imagine much being a Guy Ritchie film actually it would, it would be uh, a little faster. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, let's go back even further for a moment here. Where, where did your filmmaking journey begin? When, how did you get into to film? Um, I was 13 when Lord of the Rings came out. Um, and I was, I'm from New Zealand. So um, uh, the idea that... Um, someone from New Zealand could be making something that huge was pretty inspiring. And at that point um, I'd always wanted to be an actor, but then, yeah, as soon as Peter Jackson made those films, I decided I'd, I just wanted to make them. And so every assignment from then on was a video uh, if I could make it one. And then uh, I dropped out of traditional school when I was 17 to go to a, a college that had a full film program um and was making stuff in like 2004 on on mini dv um uh and yeah that's sort of when it when it first kicked off and i've had some departures since then i i was a fine dining chef for about six years um and that was sort of for, for a long time i thought that was all i was going to do and film was just sort of a hobby and i was a musician i uh, went to music school um and had the like whiplash uh, experience at a jazz conservatory in New Zealand and um and then when I got over here I was a stand-up comic for a while yeah. uh but film was always sort of like bubbling you know um away there and then uh in 2012 
uh, just decided it was all I was going to do from now on. And I've just been sort of figuring it out since then. So it's been a, a decade now of just filmmaking and, um, I'm glad I don't have to work in a kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is this synergy between filmmaking and, uh, and uh, the hospitality industry? Because I've spoken to a few filmmakers who have worked uh, either as a chef or, or in some other capacity within restaurants. I reckon particularly for chefing, it's being in a pressure cooker where there's this underlying current of um, um, tension just from you know you've got to make your day um and you've you know you've got to you've got to get the food out you know that, that's that's quite similar and um it's it's a bit like anthony bourdain compared it to joining the foreign legion or something like that i, I think that like people some sometimes people who are quite chaotic and creative crave structure yes. and so that combination of um extreme creativity and you know being able to to improvise and to have a collaborative call and response kind of energy on set um combining that with the structure and the 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 need for that um that structure is um yeah i mean it's 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 very much like like hospitality and um yeah i, I was an ad for a while um and um yeah that that was sort of the closest it was the, the most use I could be after being a chef was just sort of like yeah holding the line <laughs> <laughs> hey um you mentioned uh, Lord of the Rings there and and being in New Zealand w were you living in New Zealand at the time of of those films being shot uh I was yeah uh, I was I, I would have been like a, a child right, um, right. yeah I was, I was like 13 when the first one came out um uh, but yeah, I, um, uh, straight after that then was, um, you know, trying to get on other productions like the Narnia movies were getting made straight after, but it was sort of like the, um, by that point it was the gold rush had begun. Yes. Um, and yeah, the trick would have been to get on something like Lord of the Rings before anyone knew quite what was happening, but, yes. um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I've spoken to other filmmakers uh, about their experiences at film school. Uh, you know, not all of them uh, are positive. Uh, what was what were your studies uh, like for you? Did you find it to be a, a rewarding experience? With that um, kind of chaotic creative energy, it, it kind of meant that um, uh, um, having having people tell you, you know, to adhere to structure is automatically the first thing you're going to rebel against yes. and um ironically i went to a school that was encouraging experimentation and um um yeah kind of extreme experimentation they they basically said you know go out and make stuff don't even like think about what you're making just like express yourself just like let it out and so i um i immediately um wanted to be as classical and, and traditional and formalistic as possible and so um the, my way of rebelling was actually to have a three-act structure and to have <laughs> you know a character arc and yes. and I even put uh, at the end of the film I put like a um a, a massive like expositional um um like aria that the, the protagonist sort of says you know what I learned something today and but the the school like was yeah they were they were. Actually, we we won um we won the award for best film for that short. Um, but um they uh 
they then demanded that they screen it and I, I didn't want them to. So I replaced it with something else that I shot that was just very, very bizarre and strange. And at the screening, they handed out the award for best film. And then uh, uh, the film comes up and it's just, it was basically just me chasing a friend around an abandoned Western set uh, where they made Man from Snowy River um, with him in his underpants and he's just screaming and I'm trying to get him with a clothes peg and um, yeah, two How'd people gave a standing ovation. <laughs> like two, two people like it hit them hard and they were like, this is the best film that this school's ever, uh, school, school's ever produced. Yeah. And it, uh, I think another student quit. <laughs> <laughs> He was because like, that's of the, the film. best film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! What a story. Um, uh, you were you mentioned uh, that you're now based in Melbourne. What's the independent film industry like in Melbourne at the moment? Is, is it a supportive network of filmmakers? With being a, um, a writer, director, producer, um, I'm, I'm re- I've been really siloed because of these two features. Yeah. So. Um, uh, I've I've kind of only just popped my head up over the last six months and started looking for for more collaborators, yes. and um, yeah, that's um, it's been really positive. Lots of people who are just really focusing on uh, how good the work is and how to elevate it, and not so much thinking about you know long term business strategy. Which um, yeah, if you're just trying to make good work. Um, hopefully the financial stuff will come together um, after that. But um, yeah, um, I've done some some really cool stuff over the last six months just just because people just wanted to make things, yes. which has been cool. Yeah, uh, I'm based in Perth and I, I keep a close eye on what's happening um, in Melbourne. It seems like it's a booming industry at the moment for independent uh, filmmakers. So much seems to happen over there. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh it means that um, the the type of films that are get, getting made as well, it has the potential uh, for those to be quite interesting. Yes. Because um, it's kind of the responsibility, I suppose, of that um, movement to be pushing the envelope a little bit. Yeah. Because once you do have sort of significant money behind you or if you sort of get a funding body like... Um, you know, the New Zealand Film Commission or, or whoever, then um, you do start having to tick certain boxes. Mm-hmm. And so if your independent film isn't a little bit batshit, then there's something wrong. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, speaking of interesting films, uh, Mutt is such a unique story. I can't ever remember another Australian film uh, exploring dogfighting before. Uh, it, it, it's a solid film and it's fil- filled with these great performances from actors like Dave Beamish and uh, Mia Langren. Um, it's a slow burn, but it's completely engaging. So congratulations on this one. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, yeah. The film had its world premiere at Monsterfest uh, late last year. Were you able to attend that screening? Um, I, I was there. Um, I was there physically. Yes. Um, uh, and then as soon as the film started, I was I was there spiritually, but physically I had to leave. Because, Why? Why is that? Yeah. Uh, I, I, so I, I um, um, large sections of the film, I, you know, not only wrote, directed uh, and co-produced, but I also boom operated. And some, some days I was the DP and uh, then I was the 
editor and sound designer and colorist and um i just can't i can't look at it anymore <laughs> really really <laughs> just, right so how many yeah. had, had you seen it with an audience prior to to this to the monster fest oh yeah we we we, we tested it so often part yeah. of the reason why it took five years to wrap up was um like i i had a uh, cast and crew screening where I was like cool this is it we're, we're done and that yeah. was about 18 months ago yeah. and um, I, I had a friend um, who works at a distribution company come he, he was there just, just to, to check it out but afterwards I was having a, a chat to him about just some of the uh, ideas he has um, you know the film was working then and yeah. they weren't really criticisms so much as like uh, opportunities and because we did have such a small footprint as a, a crew, with, you know, I was boom operating and sometimes shooting it. So it was, you know, I just basically had to, while I was there at the, that screening, I checked in with some of the actors and I was like, should we keep going? And so we did. So, um, yeah, I, I've, I've cut so many versions of the film and, and um, you know, some of the stuff that we, we just completely reshot. And it wasn't that thing of, you know, uh, the movie's broken uh, action stations. It was just a chance to continue to iterate and to um, sort of, um, yeah, to, to, to revise and to improve, which, yes. um, yeah, you, you'd never get that opportunity in a traditional um, model, which was yeah. why we thought that that was the right thing to do was because um you know who else is able to do that you know no one so we just eventually the mia started joking that the the film was like a, an art project and it was like it was this experiential thing where like we made the movie we didn't we didn't finish the movie and and release the movie we just made it yes. <laughs> did, did you feel pressure from actors to get the film out there sooner Oh, yeah, I know actors yeah, love to see their work and, and get it out there as quick as they can, add it to their showreel. Yeah, um, and, and uh, the great thing about uh, the, the team on this was that they had attitudes like Mia's that was, um, yeah, the, the, the process was the point. Yes. It, it wasn't about the end product so much as... Um, as filmmakers, we make films, and if we weren't making that film, we'd probably be, be making another one. And um, yeah, that's not to say that you know you're not aiming for an end goal, and that um, you know, the, I mean, the, the final um, interaction that the film will have with people is is you know be, between the film and an audience. But for for a long time, it was the film was our collaboration, and that was yeah, really special. And I guess as well with the first film, um, there were there were um, just by the time we finished making it, we had twice the experience that we'd had before we made it. You know, when you do short films, you might get three or four days on set a year as a director. And, and then by the end of our 30 day shoot, you know, I'd grown a lot. So there were plenty of opportunities and, and then going and making a second feature that then meant that coming back for the, for the pickups, you know, I was, I, I had two features under my belt at that point. So it's like, all right, well, let's, let's do some more mutt because I'm really good at this now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so following the monster fest world premiere, did you get any feedback or what did you find any reviews for the film? Um, the, the only feedback I, I had sort of straight after was that it, it worked. Um, oh, great. Yeah. Like people were watching it and they, 
everyone got everything and and all the emotional beats that I'd lost all objectivity around because I'd been editing it for three years. Uh, yeah, it, it was just sort of like a massive sigh of relief. And it's like, okay, cool. I can put this to bed and move on to the next one. Yeah. You're listening to the Cinema Australia podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud or cinemaaustralia.com.au. Uh, can we talk about the crowdfunding campaign for a moment here? Because uh, yeah. the the funds raised from uh, were raised via crowdfunding. Uh, how did you find that crowdfunding process? Uh, I think your goal was twelve thousand dollars, and you raised twelve point five. Is that right? Uh, I can't remember. I th- I thought that it was ten, and we got twelve. Right, that, right. You might be right. Um, uh, it was. Um, yeah, it was pretty pretty fast and furious because we um had the the block of shooting was booked for march of 2017 and i had only finished the first draft in december of 2016 so like it was rehearsing online and then um coming home to prep it and then in that month before we shot we were also doing all the crowdfunding and it, yeah. it I think that only actually finished the day before we started shooting. So it was, um, yeah, very fast and, and furious. And, um, you know, that, that kind of budget really only covers like the, the for the, the DP, um, Justin Carrig, I, um, I basically said, you know, you have like $1,500 for lighting. Um, what are you going to do? And he uh, bought some, amazing high color accuracy led strips from china and then built these huge panels out of them and that was his whole lighting package with these these panels that he built himself um which is you know that's the cool thing about um um when you when you give people limitations they come back with these really cool responses and um that then that influenced the whole way that the film was shot. You know, if we'd had a whole uh, van of gear, then that would have meant having people to operate that gear. And so we, that then influenced the look of the film. And we were looking at sort of dogma 95 films and, and how to make minimalist naturalistic lighting, you know, work. And um, it was really just about supplementing that, that stuff. Well, we did a great job. Um, uh, the film is based around dogfighting, which we'll get into soon. Uh, did animal rights groups contribute to the crowdfunding campaign that, that you're aware of? Did they get behind yeah, it? They, yeah, in a, in, a, in a really big way. Uh, so they both um, became a resource for research and um, um, insights into the that that underbelly because it's it is very secretive and very hard to gather information on and some of their um workers who who'd sort of were involved in um breaking up some of those um uh, organizations uh interviews with them really became the backbone for the whole story uh, plot wise sort of the the fact that it is so difficult to infiltrate then became a, a big um uh, plot point for the film and um and and then they were um also you know um pushing out our social media posts which helped us to reach a larger audience and then ultimately i think it, you know at least a third of the funding wound up coming directly from their supporters which was huge yeah so so why dogfighting for you personally 
Uh, it was kind of, uh, initially it was a bit of like a, a clerk's kind of creative uh, process and, and that it was, um, we knew we didn't have much to work with. So we retrofitted a plot based off of what we had available, which was a family dog that I just liked hanging out with, yeah. you know? Um, uh, and so, yeah, I was just thinking about what stories could be made around a, a, a dog, which isn't, I know that's not a very like aspirational um, uh, creative uh, uh, insight, but but then from that came the idea of who would be most impacted by from, from losing him. Yeah. And, and then the genre, once the genre came in place and, and, and the element of this kind of uh, uh, crime thriller and this kind of mystery, um, that was when I knew it was something that I really wanted to make because um, in, in, in and around that time period, there were a lot of crime thrillers like True Detective and um, um, Nocturnal Animals and things like that that really used women in a... Um, a mechanical way they were either a motivation for a male protagonist to you know go out and seek revenge or to rescue the girl or whatever and um uh it was yeah it's just a um it's it's not so much like uh trying to be woke so much as it's seeing tropes that are being repeated on screen yeah and it kind of it, it becomes this echo chamber where, where people are just repeating other th films that they've seen rather than looking for um, insights in the real human world. Yes. So uh, I just saw it as an opportunity to kind of um, um, update the genre a little bit and to, to make to make the conversations a little bit more realistic and a little bit more interesting, I thought. And then that meant that the protagonist being a, a female and um, sort of entering into a man's world, um, you know, there were conversations to be had around that within the film. And hopefully they're not too um, on the nose and they're just sort of there in, in, in the background. But um, yeah, it, we definitely sort of found themes and stories that we were interested in um, as we progressed more so than starting out with the objective of telling a story about, you know, prenatal depression or yes, anything yeah. like that. Uh, so as far as your research into dog fighting went, uh, did it lead you down some disturbing paths? Uh, did, did you, did you do a deep dive into it? I did. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't encourage anyone else to because yeah. it's, uh, it is pretty distressing. And, um, so, you know, e even some of the feedback from um, uh, audiences w w was that they were worried that it was going to just be really graphic and di disturbing. And um, yeah, the film's not really about that. It's, it's sort of the, the dog fighting element is there uh, really as, as a, um, an endpoint for an exploration of, um, yeah, some other stuff that's a yes. little bit more complex than that. Yeah. Uh, most of the film takes place at uh, a few stunning rural properties. What, what can you tell us about the area that the film was shot in? So uh, going back to the clerks thing, um, I, yeah, I had a dog and my in-law's house uh and so um uh i i announced to my uh, uh mother-in-law that we were going to be shooting a film in their house and she was like that's that's cool that's you know whatever uh there was still you know all like all her 
her other children were still living at home then. So I think that there were like maybe eight people living in that property at that yeah. time. And then suddenly, yeah, a crew of like 30 people descended uh, for a month. And um, yeah, there, there won't be any more movies shot at that house. That. <laughs> was it not a good experience? Oh, it was great. I loved it. Um, I don't know how much the inhabitants enjoyed it uh, well no I, I do know actually they didn't um but uh you know so they didn't like they didn't go on a holiday somewhere while you were shooting they were they were actually living there they, they yes they were yeah um but we were pretty creative so that main house is um you know it's also all the dog fighting locations oh, and um, right. the building company and so yeah it like the the creative process was very much based on what was possible and then creating um uh you know uh, opportunities around what we we had available which yes um yeah it, it actually turned out to be pretty pretty fruitful and you know like the scenes uh like the the main sort of dog fighting scene with all the guys around the fire yeah. um that was that was all quite real so the building company on the property they'd have beers on a friday afternoon yes and so i just told them to stick around uh, a little bit later yeah. and then at 4 a.m we're still shooting and um there are these these tradies that are just like smashing maccas and having yarns and they're yeah they're having a great time i think that was probably the most um yeah the, the most enjoyment anyone had yeah. wow there you go. That's very interesting. Um, so, so tell us about working with the animals in the film and, and particularly the lead dog, Cannon, uh, whose character's name is Barney in the film. Um, yeah. Tell us about uh, Cannon. Yeah, so Cannon uh, uh, was um, uh, my in-law's um, dog. So he, yeah. he, was, he, just, he was just living at the house. Yeah. Um, he, he was about six when we were shooting. Um, yeah. uh, and... Yeah, like we we knew that all we really needed him to do was um, do a, some barking, yeah. and uh, my brother-in-law Rick taught him how to do that. And then we were like, "Cool, we can make a movie." Uh, <laughs> um, th there was little bits and pieces that we needed him to do for scenes, like I'd want him to sit on a bed, and he just wouldn't. And so <laughs> we'd be like, "Okay, I guess this scene, he's walking around the floor," and we'd just sort of embrace that. Um, uh, we had a dog trainer come along and she had this like beautiful uh, German shepherds and um, uh, like a Jack Russell and things. And they were all super well-trained. And then we were getting her to deal with, with Cannon who, you know, he's just a pet and he had the run of the place. So, you know, we'd be like, Cannon sit. And he'd just be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> What's the saying? You can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know we just we just shot basically like if if he was tired we'd be like all right that's canon done for today and then if he was excited and barky we'd be like cool let's get some cutaways so for example towards the end there's quite a bit of him and like that the last scene is sort of i think that there's probably three years between shots in that scene right so yeah and that's not just of him but also of mia yeah. and a, a bunch of the actors and um yeah you wouldn't notice it because justin did a good way a good job of relighting it and stuff but yeah how willing were the actors to come back um well you know like uh for for mia uh, with it being her first lead in a, a feature she yeah. she was an absolute trooper and anytime i asked her to do a hike out 
to the outer east should just <laughs> sigh and be like yep i'll i'll be on a train um yeah uh once they got here though like like i said it was that thing of it being about the process of doing it and um it's um i, I remember um at the beginning of of shooting it was kind of a mystery how you made a feature and and sort of yeah um uh how how you made it look like a feature film and not just a student short and ultimately i think that the trick was just getting your hours up the more you do the better you get at it and um yeah having gone from sort of a dozen short films to two completed features it's um yeah you just kind of have to make them yes uh, so tell us about casting dave and mia uh, they're both terrific in this film and i've seen dave in a few other things and i think he's a great actor um so tell us about casting those two so I was based in, in London at that time. And so it was, um, yeah, it was, it was very, um, it, it was hard not being able to meet people in person and um, just sort of having to get self tapes and stuff. And I, yeah, saw dozens of, of tapes for, for, um, for Angus. And I, I think, I think I settled on, on, on Dave pretty quickly, uh, particularly just off having chats with him um, online. And then Mia, I had to really kind of, hunt like she she's a she tours with the uh um shakespeare company yeah so um yeah she she kind of was was off um uh uh off comms for a while and i just kept emailing her and then finally she uh she got back to me and, and as soon as she did she was she was like completely in but um yeah it was a bit of a hunt to get her character wow um, so the, the next uh, festival screening for Mutt will be at the Capricorn Film Festival. Um, are you able to make it up there to that screening? No, no. no we've got a, an, an eight-month-old at home, so right, travel's right. It's not a, a, a great time for travel yeah. um, with everything that's happening. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I've got a little bit, a bit of an intro down for, for the film. So, right. Yeah. But so, also so w- based off the last screening, I know that... Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd probably get five minutes into it and then have to walk out and um, breathe into a paper bag. Yes. <laughs> um, so, so where will people be able to see the film following uh, Capricorn? Do you have any plans for a wider release? Uh, we've, we, we do have some, some uh, distribution plans on, on the back burner. So that's just uh, in the final stages of locking that in. So it shouldn't be too much long of a wait. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait for a wider audience to see it. I think people are really going to enjoy it. Um, I just want to talk quickly about uh, your next uh, feature film, One Another. Uh, what can you tell us about that one? Uh, it's, uh, it's about a couple in a loveless relationship who start to groom each other into replicas of their previous partners. Um, and uh, we, we shot that in London about three months after uh, we finished, uh, or we, we, we did the first block of Mutt. Um, and that was really just sort of a, um, uh, as I was writing this short film, uh, a feature kind of just emerged and we, we shot the short and then uh, with my visa about to end and us having to move home, it was either sort of like, okay, well, you know, we'll use the short film to try and raise funds and then, you know, in a few years we might make it or we just keep filming. Mm. And so we just kind of kept kept shooting and that was a crew of two people and mainly it was mainly just two actors and yeah running around locations in london um 
yeah and just sort of it, it was very um it's a very intense like darkly funny um uh rom-com uh it's a christmas movie um, right right oh where can people see that one is it, do you have a release plan for that um, well, now that I'm talking to distributors about Mutt, that'll, that'll, that conversation is happening well. at the same time. Yeah. Yes. yeah. yeah. Uh, might be around Christmas time. Who knows? <laughs> um, I want to uh, end this uh, by asking a question that I ask all my guests. Uh, have you seen any Australian movies lately that, have, that you've really enjoyed? Uh, has anything stood out for you? Yeah. I mean, like, it's not, uh, it, it's, it's not earth shattering, but we finally checked out The Dry and, um, everybody says the dry everybody yeah, i love it it's just a it. year for it yes yeah. yes yeah the year of the dry <laughs> if you you look at uh mutt and the, the tone of that and and uh you know um when i when i when i made our film i was worried that it wasn't quite sort of genre enough or it wasn't quite sort of edgy enough or or, or, or whatever but then yeah the 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 dry manages to balance its its mystery and its sort of grit with some really grounded human yes. um, uh, stories, which um, yeah, it just felt really three dimensional. Which I mean, like, look, when it's based off a book like that, you know, you're gonna get that. But yeah, it was great. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, Sam, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. And I, I thank you so much for uh, sharing all of your stories with us. It's been great to learn about the making of Mutt. Uh, thanks a lot for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. Cheers, Matthew. Thank you for listening to the Cinema Australia podcast. You can keep up to date with all the latest Australian film news, reviews, features and interviews at cinemaaustralia.com.au.